Welcome to The Leadership Mind. I'm your host, Massimo Bacchus. This show is about the stories, assumptions, and perspectives that either create or block our ability to lead. In this podcast, we'll speak with those that are in the arena, the leaders themselves. By trade and training, I'm a leadership coach and facilitator with a relentless curiosity for helping people, teams, and organizations thrive in pursuit of making their vision and purpose a reality. The goal is to bring you new insights, perspectives, and practices to help you lead authentically, navigate your career intentionally, and grow high-performing teams successfully. My hope is that in these episodes, you will witness humility, where we celebrate our failures as much as our successes. Curiosity, where we share wisdom and insights openly. And community, where we grow together. Let's explore the leadership mind. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Mind podcast. I'm your host, Massimo Bacchus, and today I'm joined by my friend, Tim Duggan. Tim is going to share about some really, um, I think, groundbreaking research that he's doing as a part of his dissertation right now. But in addition to pursuing his PhD, he's a consultant at RAC Leadership, specializing in leadership assessment and development. They do a lot of work with multinational organizations, uh, and they do a lot of work around selection and assessment, and ultimately, um, finding insights out of those assessments to help people perform at their very best. Tim, welcome. Thanks, Massimo. It's nice to be here. Yeah. So I want to start off by um, getting your backstory, your origin story. If we think about where you are, you're on the precipice of what I think is going to be some really influential research that you're doing. Um, but but give us you know the backstory. Where did where did this all start, and what was your journey that got you to this place where you're asking these powerful questions? I kind of went about it maybe um, the the wrong way in in <laughs> in some sense. Um, you know, I, I I'm studying. Uh, organizations and leaders of organizations. And my groundwork for that was, uh, you know, getting my start working for a lot of businesses that weren't run very well, startups, small businesses. Um, and, you know, I, I could see that there were problems, but I didn't understand, you know, that everybody's problems were the same, mostly. Yeah, doing um, research. <laughs> yeah exactly. Um, and uh, at the same time, um, both my, my, my friend, Russ Allison, um, who I've known for years, who has been working in this space his entire career, um, you know, was starting his own business and um, looking to me as somebody who knew a lot about starting a business um, for help. Um, and at the same time, uh, my wife started working at a school that specializes in uh, advanced degrees for adult learners. Okay. And they had a degree program in organizational development and change. And I got to know a lot of the people there as I started working at RAC leadership. And it just kind of dovetailed to the point where I was finding my place working with people and organizations and then studying them at the same time. And it's kind of worked out well for me. And maybe this was what I should have been doing, you know, 20 years ago. Yeah, I'm curious when you were back in those dysfunctional organizations that were, you know, struggling or even failing, did you have um, insight or curiosity around what was making it all tick? Did, was there like an inkling of this interest and passion for you back then? No, there absolutely was. And, you know, it was something where uh, it made me uh, be maybe more entrepreneurial than I otherwise would have been. I'm, I was willing to, you know, uh, uh, start a business um, and willing to uh, join startups uh, pretty quickly after uh, uh, seeing that, 
you know, a, a lot of the problems that people encounter when they're trying to be successful is not, they're, they're all good at something. And that's how the, 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 the business starts is they have a skill or an insight or an idea, but uh, making an organization work is hard um, yeah. and complicated and it's its own thing. So you can't just be, um, you know, really good at making something and be, and have a business that's bigger than you and a couple people. Um, and, and once I started learning that it became interesting to me, like, well, what, what is it? What is it that, what makes it successful? What do, what do people need to know? Yeah. What was the, what was the business that you started? So I, I started, uh, I worked in the wine business for years and I started a, a wine project with my friend and, um, it worked really, it was actually a pretty good, uh, uh, small, uh, winery that we had going, uh, that kind of washed up on the rocks of uh, the uh, economic downturn, <laughs> which just made it hard to kind of do things on a shoestring. And so we didn't, we, you know, we didn't lose any money really, but we just had to kind of stop. <laughs> we, yeah. we chose not, we chose not to keep building it. Yes, yes. Well, and that sounds like a fun and interesting um, industry to be a part of the, the wine world. Um, but those lessons from that and the other startups applied, and then you joined up with Russ and what was that kind of conversion step like for you when you were melding the minds with, with Russ, who's an absolute just expert in this space and your kind of business operations expertise? You know, it was a, it was a real insight. And, um, you know, Russ is um, really gifted at working with individuals and helping them kind of see a clear sight line on how to become better leaders. Um, and. You know, I always thought that that you could uh, address the problems uh, better on an organizational level, um, because that's how I kind of see things. And in working with Russ, I realized that it's 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 going at the problem at two different ways, and both of them are really effective if they're done well, and neither of them are very effective without the other. Yeah. So, you know, he's he's really good at figuring out how to make you know a leader who is, you know, 75% effective to become like 80 or 90% effective really quickly. Um, and sometimes that results in them making good choices for the organization that helps the organization run better. Um, so it, 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 it's been interesting to see it from that point of view and to develop my skills there um, besides just kind of understanding, you know, how and why people in general do things. Yeah. So you were coming from the organizational side, Russ coming from the individual leadership side. Where do you sit right now in the work that you're that you're doing? I do I do mostly uh, stuff with individuals, um, assessments and um, and coaching. Um, but we are doing now more organizational type work. Um, we've gotten a, a, a bigger. We've hired some more consultants. Um, so it's kind of an and both at this point. Um, where, you know, we can offer, you know, specific things and do a really good job with our coaching and assessment, but we can also help build um, a program or a stage some kind of, you know, organizational change initiative where we can, you know, uh, uh, make changes that affect things kind of more on the macro level. Yeah. You've probably done thousands of assessments with leaders by now, I would imagine. What are some of the, the trends that you see if you were to kind of aggregate that, the you concept know, of leader? It, it, it dovetails a little bit with what I care about in my research. And um, one of the hardest things um, is that 
Um, there are people that are definitely have leadership behaviors, even, even when they're young in their careers, um, and maybe don't have some other skills that they need when they become leaders, but are, are you know, they're charismatic or they're, they're good with people or they are, are uh, uh, have a good, high appetite for risk or can operate with limited information well. Those are all good skills when you're, when, when you're a leader. Um, but, you know, they might not have other skills like, you know, being nice to people or, or, or working through others or things like that. Um, and similarly, there's a lot of very successful professionals who are um, uh, uh, just like can do amazing amounts of work, um, high level of professionalism, get a ton of things done. And they think that that is going to um, be super useful when they become leaders. And a lot of those skills just aren't uh, scalable. They're not translatable because if, if your superpower is doing a lot of work, that is going to be your superpower forever. Because, you know, you, you, even when you get promoted three levels, you'll still be trying to do everybody else's work. And that is a recipe for not getting enough done. Yeah. What's interesting, you're talking about that like, dichotomy of people and task. And, you know, the grouping of, you know, people kind of play to strengths in one domain or the other. And that in leadership, ideally, there's a marriage of both, you know, or at least, you know, some shoring up of the shortcomings uh, on the side that's missing. And do you find in your work that it is easier or, or uh, more difficult for uh, growing leaders that have the people strengths into those operational skills or those that have the high operational skills into the people strengths? I think it's I think it's easier for people that have people skills um, and and less operational strength because they can find and and um, and help manage people that do uh, fairly easily or more, more easily. I think that people who who really um, believe that the 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 key to leader to their success i don't think they think about it as leadership which is part of the problem but the key to their success <laughs> is is you know uh being the best worker um and the you know the person that's that that does the most work and does it the best um you know once you need to do twice as much work which is really what's or, or be in charge i should say of twice as much work you can't do it yourself and i think that, that and and the Good news is if people develop that awareness earlier in their careers, it's a lot easier for them. The hard part is when they've when they've been successful and have managed, even though it's suboptimal and have gotten a lot of uh, uh, credit and a lot of promotions, and then they're sitting in that you know high mid manager or mid level manager spot and and failing, and they don't understand why. And if they would have you know figured it out or, or had some kind of coaching or intervention or anything, you know, two levels before that, they would be able to make that transition a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, what you're, what you're talking about is when someone's identity gets too um, wedded to a particular way of being and doing work, that it's really hard to let that go, which kind of leads us into the research that you're doing, which is about um, how our identity, you know, may be preventing us from being able to see opportunities to optimize leveraging diversity in organizations and creating opportunities for those people. Yeah, no, that's true. I think that, you know, my, my research is around how people who 
um, come from a, a, a place that's marginalized in, in, in their workplace, you know, typically, you know, not white males um, in a lot of the organizations I work in. Um, and, you know, they, uh, when it comes down to it, I think, um, you know, the scholarship will tell you that leaders are seen as leaders by other people for the traits that they share with the group. And when you're trying to build more diversity, that kind of works counter to that a bit, which is you're promoting people that are less like the group. And those leaders are in a position where they are maybe in charge, but it's hard to lead without people um, wanting to follow. And I realized that, you know, uh, whether it's a problem or not, there's plenty of leaders um, in organizations, women leaders, people of color who are successful and they are doing things with their own identity, their own internal story that helps them um, show that they are a part of the group or they are prototypical to the people that are around them and they have different ways of doing it. And that's what I'm trying to study. Where did this germinate for you, Tim, this original idea? Um, did, did it come out of the work that you were doing or something that you read? Yeah, no, I mean, in, in, in some ways, there's, you know, the, the uh, uh, Marshall Goldsmith uh, theory of what, what got you uh, here won't get you there, or, what, you know, what got you here won't get you there, where people kind of have skills that are important in one level of leadership, but then are, are less important at other levels. Um, but then I also kept reading, um, uh, seeing I, as much as reading, uh, you know, diversity programs that just were having a hard time uh, uh, working and gaining hold. And I think part of it is, you know, people are confusing diversity for inclusion. They're confusing, like it just, they're like, if, if, we, if we hire more different people, that will solve the problem. And it isn't solving the problem necessarily, or it's just one step on the way to solving the problem. So I started trying to look at what the other steps might be. Um, and I think that the, the identity stories that, that people have uh, to prove that they're, uh, to the, prove to themselves and then to other people that they're leaders is, is a big step when it comes to having uh, a leadership group or a leadership cohort that is, is more diverse. Right now, where do you see diversity programs getting us to and what's the rest of the journey? Yeah, you know, it's funny. You can't have one without the other. And um, there's a lot of good research that will show that simply by having a more diverse uh, group of people, then leaders will be seen as more prototypical because that makes sense because you've complicated <laughs> the makeup of the group. So it's not all looking the same way. And therefore, a leader that is maybe different than half of the group, but like the other half of the group can be seen perfectly as one of the leaders because it's like they're like half of us. Um, and so that's necessary. And I think that maybe the, the issue is we've you know reached a necessary condition, but not a sufficient condition for um, having um, a, a diverse set of leaders kind of be there and then them become more senior leaders because, you know, you look at, you look at a lot of the organizations that, that I work in and, you know, they have a diverse uh, uh, group of people working there and maybe their frontline managers are fairly diverse and then maybe their next line of managers is fairly diverse. But by the time you get close to the C-suite, they all start looking more like they've always looked. And so you're looking at what happens after we, we are, create a workforce that has diversity, 
but now how are we leveling up people right. across the board? Yep. And, and this, there's stuff that goes on in the middle that I think if it, it, what I hope my research will do is provide um, a typology or a theory for how people can successfully um, make, uh, you know, reconcile their identities so that they are hitting the ground running, so to speak, when they're, you know, promoted to a level where maybe they're, they aren't managing people that are like them, but are needing to, you know, make it clear that they are in it for what everybody else is in it for and can be seen as, as, as good leaders for that group. Right. And so you're looking at successful, diverse group of leaders and asking them, what what have you done that has helped you be successful in this role as a leader? Yeah. How do you think about yourselves? Are you, are, you know, are you like the people, more like the people that work for you or less? What do you think about that? What, you know, what part do you think that you are like them? Do you emphasize that or do you not? Um, you, you know, there's uh, a lot of different ways. And I will say, you know, I, I wanted to do it a different way when I first started. And one of the uh, one of the professors on my committee made a good point, and he said, "You need to look for the you need to look for the people that are successful, because if you look for the people that aren't successful, you're going to find a lot of them, and it's not going to tell you anything." <laughs> and uh, that was the best advice I've gotten so far. Yeah. So a successful group of leaders, and you're you're asking them about how, what role their identity plays in their ability to be successful in senior leadership roles. Yeah. And, and I, I, I not even in some ways it's hard to talk about identity because it, it happens without people thinking about it a lot of the time. Yeah. So I'm going to ask them questions about how they behave or how they think about themselves without really calling it identity. Um, but using, you know, the different ways that uh, scholars have, have come to kind of frame identity. Yeah. Is there research that's come before this that you're using as an underpinning in your you know, lit review that, that substantiating this, this hypothesis that I want to get to in a minute? Yeah, there is. There's, there's some people that are using an inventory um, for, uh, for using social identity uh, uh, theories to um, look at how leadership works. And I'm not going to use that survey that they have as a basis for my research, but they have... Um, four different ways that they think people can be leaders, even if they're not completely prototypical. And it's, uh, it, it's an interesting construct. Um, I also think that there's uh, been a lot of work by Herminia Ibarra, um, who was at um, Harvard Business School for a long time, and has done a lot of work in identity. And, you know, she has all kinds of different ideas you know, including the, you know, the, the, the one that I think actually works pretty well for leaders, which is, you know, having a provisional identity of, of, a, of being a leader as a way of learning how to be a leader, you know, and it's, it's like the um, Harvard Business School version of fake it until you make it. Um, but it's effective because, you know, if, if you act like you think the leader of this group should act, that's the same as being the leader of that group. It's just what's going on in your head that's different. From, and the outside, it looks the same. When you're talking about uh, the social identity theory, will you explain that so that those are listening can kind of ground in what we're talking about? Yeah, it's a, it, it's, um, a you know, 40-year-old 40, 40 theory um, that talks about how groups form and why they form. And there's, there's two parts to it. it. One of them is kind of internal and one of them is kind of groups. And uh, together, it's the social identity approach. But basically, 
it points out that a lot of your own identity is based on how you group yourself. And then groups also do that back and decide kind of who is in the group and who is out of the group as a way of, um, you know, being uh, 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 existing in a social world. Um, and so if you hear words like out group that comes from social identity theory, um, a lot of the studies and bias comes or and it touches on those things. Um, and it's, it's, there's a lot of uh, arguments against it, but none of them really kind of rebut the, 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 the uh, uh, idea at the core, which is, um, you know, how we see ourselves in a group is a big part of our own identity and how groups operate is according to what the identities are like in a group. So I'm in an organization. My identity is um, is dictated or informed in some way by the culture of the group that I'm in. This is how we talk to each other. This is how we spend our time. This is what we talk about, things like that. This is how we work. And then by virtue of how we all behave in that manner, we're then constituting what the group norms are. Right. That just perpetuates the normative nature of the individuals in the group. That's right. Yep. You will think of yourself as yourself, but a large part of yourself is going to be things that are common in that group, because otherwise you wouldn't be uh, very successful being a part of that group. It's why teams work. It, it explains why organizations are the mode of getting a lot of things done. They just work better than a bunch of people doing their own thing. And and a lot of that has to do with how, how you identify with yourself or with the other people around you. And it's why some people you know, they talk about corporate or, you know, company culture. And in some ways, culture is just another word for, you know, what the group is. Um, it's the, you know, it's the stories, the ideas, the ways of doing things that are common to that group or to that organization. When we think about how organizations have uh, diversity programs and bias training, we're really trying to, to change the way that uh, we see each other in organizations what impact does that have from a social identity standpoint? It, it, it seems like it is in conflict. There, there is a conflict there. And it's funny because, you know, in some ways you want to say from a, from a human rights standpoint, you know, people should be themselves um, and, and, and you should be comfortable being you wherever you are. Um, and I think that that is an important factor when you're dealing with people that have been marginalized for a long time, because, you know, they're not, they, they're, their stories aren't, told or seen their viewpoints aren't uh you know known or respected in some cases and so there's a part where you you want to encourage them to be themselves but also it never works like you know i i was reading uh, uh some article that was talking about you need to bring your whole self to work if if diversity is going to work and i thought does anybody bring their whole self to work like i there, there's plenty of stuff that i don't do <laughs> like i don't i don't need people to know everything about me because like some of the stuff i don't like or it doesn't matter um, but I think that there's definitely, uh, there's a conflict there, Masabi, you're right. And, and it, it, it does, there doesn't need to be a conflict, but I think that it's something that doesn't get managed um, as well as it could. Do you see the direction that we're headed with this trend of people bringing their whole selves to work as a, a cautionary tale? Uh, I, I, think that, I think that it will, um, as, for, as much as it's going to be liberating for a lot of people, um, and in a good way, I do think it's going to cause some of the uh, cohesion 
um, in, in groups and organizations to fray. And, and there's going to be a lot of swirl that doesn't need to be there. Um, and, and if you think about it, um, diverse groups are not very efficient, but they usually produce better overall work. They just take a little bit longer to do it. So it's worth it's worth kind of the, the, the friction or the um, having to reconcile viewpoints that aren't the same um, because it helps in so many ways down the line, but it can, you know, it, it can also, if not managed very well, yeah, you kind of go off the rails. Yeah. There needs to be a long-term commitment to see it through because it's going to get messier before it, it gets better. It's absolutely true. In all the research that you've done, and I know that you're you're about to um, start doing your own research in these interviews, is there anything that you've come across that has been you know shocking or surprising to you? Yeah, I, you know, I think that in some ways um, there's a lot of different ideas that are that are around the same subject, and that is the more complicated you have, you make an identity the easier it is for people to feel like they're part of a group. And, you know, I think that one of the, one of the downsides to trying to talk about complicated things is we have to simplify them. And simplification is um, not helpful when it comes to complicated identities. But I think that, you know, just the idea of, you know, if, if I think of myself as just a consultant, and not as you know a middle-aged Californian, um, and not as a, a father, and not at, you know if if I don't think of myself as a complicated person, then I'm more likely to do consultancy things that don't take into account other parts of other people's identity. So it it does it makes a difference, and and you know I know in, in we we talk about uh, uh, people having intersectionality of their identities. Um, it's the same kind of idea, but that's kind of in, um, that's from the inside out rather than, you know, looking at the broad group and how complicated it is and then drilling down from there. Right. Looking at the intersectionality of all the different roles that we play in our life, all the parts of our identity, our background, our family structure, uh, experience, education, all these things. You're saying that the more that we can coalesce all of that and be aware of those things, the better suited will be to be empathetic and allow for diversity to exist in a group. I totally think so. And I, and, and it's, it's uh, you know, it's proven out all the time that the, you know, people that people that know people are less likely to have bias against people like that. Um, and, you know, it's always in an abstraction where the bias is, is the strongest. And, you know, there's when you're a part of a group, um, and you take the time to figure out what makes, you know, the group want to do things together, then, um, you know, it makes it uh, more possible for there to be, you know, the kind of diversity that creates um, uh, better outcomes rather than just friction. What advice do you have for leaders that maybe maybe they have awareness and maybe they don't have awareness that they're so stuck with their identity as um, I'm a leader of this organization and that, that's my identity and they're, they're neglecting to include all the other aspects of who they are. Yeah, you know, it's, it, it's tricky. I think that uh, people do, do stuff like that all the time. And, um, they, I, you know, it's, 
I, I always think it has more to do with um, uh, uh, not being very good at something than it is being malicious. You know, just sometimes people aren't as empathetic as they as they should be. Sometimes they don't understand that that just because you know. Uh, all, all the people that are at their level in the organization, you know, have a summer house. You, when you start, you know, talking to people, and when the conversation at work turns to summer houses, you're excluding a lot of people, and that's that's kind of harmless. But it's also the kind of stuff that makes people feel less uh, coherent, cohesive in a group where they they realize that they're not. Uh, their their viewpoints are are not seen, and then initiatives happen. I know, you know, when the pandemic happened, there was lots of organizations that I work with that were, you know, they were fine with people working from home, but it didn't even occur to them that there were lots of people who, you know, they live they live with three people in a in a you know place uh, in 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 uh, uh, downtown Manhattan and. They don't have good internet and they don't have a space where they can be on Zoom calls all the time because, you know, that's not the way that they were anticipating working. And yeah. you just make you're these choices. With them. The, you're, you're here in the nursery, right? I am. That's right. And, and I work from home all the time and I have my own place that's an office. But when my wife had to start working from home. She started working in the office and this is where I work. Yeah. Um, well, what tips do you have for people? What are actionable things that leaders can do to open up that aperture? And, and you're right, it's not malicious, it's, but it's, if it's not known, what can they do? I mean, I, I, I do think that um, a lot of times people, when they try to get to know other people, really are, um, they're doing it because they think that that is a good way to uh, build trust with the, with the people on their team. And that's true. But also there's, there's ways to do it that, that feel um, less like you're being poked and prodded and interviewed and, and more like you are trying to build a connection. And so all of the ways that you can emphasize um, that you see that you have similar, um, uh, if, if not backgrounds, at least goals and dreams and plans and ideas with the people that work for you, or that will go a long way with making uh, uh, people that are different than you feel like the group is you know, something that encompasses them as well. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I've used um, an exercise with clients around mindful compassion and essentially looking into the person. It could be somebody that's like you. It could be somebody that's not like you. It could be somebody that you like, and it could be somebody that you loathe. Um, But to look at that other person or the picture of that person and try and identify with the things that you have in common. Um, as many of those things as possible, and that that increases, you know, your ability to empathize with them, even if you're so different, have opposing views, um, is another kind of technique to do that. No, that's, I think that's great. That's, that, that's a wonderful way. And, and I think that there's a difference between celebrating difference, which I think is great and important. And I think that, you know, um, on a, on a, on a baseball team, everybody has to do different things well, and that's, that's awesome. <laughs> And that's what you need. Um, but like you don't it, it, you, celebrating difference is, is, is good. Um, singling out difference in ways that makes people uncomfortable is less good. And sometimes you've got to you got to do you got to take the time to figure those things out, to talk to people and, and know, like if they tell you something bothers you, then that then you should know that <laughs> or that something bothers them. You should know that. And um, I, I think that uh, in, in so many cases, we just. Um, and leaders, especially, you know, they have a lot to do, and um, there's there's a lot of um, 
there's a lot of scripts for leaders out there that are not necessarily beneficial. And a lot of them have to do with not caring about other people. And that's uh, going to throw a wrench into the works for sure when it comes to uh, um, working in a diverse workforce. What, what do you mean by scripts that they have? You know, I think people think that when they're in charge, people should, you know, do what they say. And yeah. I don't disagree with that, but also, you know, uh, I think we can all think of cases where people in charge of us have told us to do something that we think is is wrong or crazy and, and, and we won't do it. Um, so, uh, you know, getting to understand the objections or and also getting people to voice objections is, um, you know, it, 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 they all kind of inter, interrelate. You know, people, if you are somebody who's command and control, pretty soon people will just do exactly what they're told and you will lose any benefit of having a diverse workforce because you've stripped it all away and they're all just doing what you told them. That would, and yeah. that would you know, that, that, that's what you get. Yeah. And the people that will stick around are the ones that, you know, respond well to command and control and then you've, you've got minions. Right. Um, that's a really good point, Tim. Uh, so... This research, I'm, I'm sure you've got some hypotheses around like what you're going to find and what are those? What, do you, what are you expecting you'll find here? What's your hypothesis? So we, we've talked a little bit about some of them. I think that a lot of people become really good at complicating their identity or, and, and, and learning how complicated it is and finding the parts that are useful in the context of the group that they're leading. Um, and they might do it without thinking. But I think that they're doing it in ways that some people probably don't do it. Um, and, you know, and, and we have words for this, you know, some of it's like intersectionality, some of it's like code switching, some of it's learning to learning to, you know, talk like the other, the, the way that other people talk or the, the, the language, the hidden curriculum, the, all these things. Um, learning those things, but also I think in some ways, you know, uh, uh, Herminia Barra is onto something. Some people, I think, just figure out what, what it is that a leader looks like and they start practicing doing that and eventually it becomes part of their identity. Um, and I, I think we'll find a lot of those things. I think really um, what I don't think is I don't think people are going to get rid of the part of their identity that makes them diverse. I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think they're just you know, you don't hire you don't hire a, a a black woman and her decide. Well, you know what? I'm a leader now, so I'm going to act like a white male. I just don't think that's going to happen um, because I don't think that would I don't think that works. I mean, it's you know that's that's not going to be effective. She would find what attributes of leadership exist in that organization and model those, but do it in a way that's authentic to to her and her identity. Is what you're saying. But, that's right. And she would see the things that, that she does do or that she does that are like the people around her. So rather than think of herself solely as the things that are different, she will start thinking, you know, well, I'm managing a bunch of bankers. I'm a banker. <laughs> Wait, we're all bankers. That is important. So when I'm thinking about this stuff, that is something that I have to make sure that I um, am, am, am getting across, which is you know, we've all been doing this for a long time. And, you know, these are the things that I've learned and I can help you be successful. Um, and I mean, that's one of the things too, the more you can, the more you can communicate that you can help people be successful in what they're trying to do. Um, that will make you feel like a leader. That'll make them think you're a leader because that's what they want from a leader. Are there any negative repercussions of what you might learn in this research of people um, adapting in this way. 
I mean, I, I, I imagine that there are. I think that, you know, there's going to be some ways that are effective, but have uh, cost that are that, that, that will seem um, unsavory. Um, you know, that, that they say, I just, I hide my identity at work. Mm. Um, that's, you know, I, I think that that's going to be unfortunate. Um, but also, if that's what everybody says, that's really going to be a <laughs> that's that, that's going to be a headline for for the findings, which you know is you're not really getting a diverse <laughs> set of leaders. You're getting a a bunch of leaders that are less diverse than they were when they got promoted. Right, right, and they're conf they're conforming to this this type. Um, I know you don't know exactly what the research is going to find, but have you already thought about like what are the implications of this research? I feel like in the last two years, the amount of effort that's gone into inclusion and diversity efforts in organizations. Um, and as you said, they're good to a point, but they, they are not the entire equation. Where, where does your research fit in? What are the implications of it? I mean, I'm hoping that it's gonna provide some good um, uh, actionable ideas or, or, or frameworks for people that are in the situation of being promoted um, in an organization to a group that that looks less like them. And, you know, it's one thing to know that these successful leaders have figured out and have done these things, but the people, you know, that all, that that's done through, you know, trial and error and hard won gains. If we can start giving and equipping younger leaders with the same ideas, um, that'll accelerate their ability, you know, just like any leadership intervention, it'll accelerate their ability to, to be successful uh, more quickly and to not have to suffer um, through some of the, 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 the things that are, that are difficult to learn on your own. Yeah. Do you have higher ambitions for this? I mean, do you hope that maybe this turns into a book or that this is some sort of a, an intervention that you can take into organizations, especially for the early, earlier leaders, early career leaders? I mean, yeah, that's why my, my, my hope is I don't, I don't know about a book, although I, I'm not, not, you know, it depends on how, how this dissertation turns out. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I work with, with organizations that could use um, uh, interventions like this. Um, and they um, are, I don't, I don't think they're opposed to it. I don't think they know that they need it yet. But I, I hope that perhaps once I have some good research and some people follow on this research with other things, we can we can form a way of like you know building that next step of of how to make uh, diversity and inclusion uh, uh, efforts um, uh, uh, build up from the ground. I think that we're doing a a much better job now at the ground level, and and organizations will point to their headcount and say, look, look at our diversity, and I they're not wrong. But once you get, you know, four or five levels up in the organization, it's not, it's not as diverse. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, there's, uh, there will continue to be room for improvement in this area. And um, I've been having a number of conversations with colleagues around how we've spent a lot of time on education around diversity and inclusion. And what you're talking about, Tim, is something that is beyond just education. It's about an intervention that actually um, promotes the change, you know, quite literally promoting, promoting the change into those positions. Um, I want to thank you so much. I mean, I think the work that you're doing is just brilliant and it's what is needed right now. There's great work happening and we need to continue the conversation and continue to embed um, new insights into organizations around um, how do we change the entire organization, not just kind of the, the first few levels. No, I th thank you for having me on. And I, you know, this is, this is something that I care about. 
Um, and I, I want, I, I know other people are working in this space and I, I just, I'm, I'm glad to be able to contribute to it and kind of help um, come up with different ways of looking at the problem that'll be helpful to, to other people. Are there any resources or anything that you've read, other research or, or books on this subject that you have found to be um, informative and helpful that you'd recommend to people? Oh man, um, you know, it, not really. <laughs> when it comes down to it, I think there's a lot of good resources out there for people that want to, um, you know, develop their own um, ways of being uh, uh, less prejudiced or biased. Um, I don't think that they're, you know, I think that we're we're at a place where we're 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 fixing a really kind of acute problem. <laughs> <laughs> on one end and this problem that 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 I'm touching on is is a problem but I think it's just it's not the kind of problem that that uh people are really feeling a, a lot of pain from yet um and so I think there's just less good um writing and scholarship out there on it yeah except for those people that are trying to get into those roles right that, that's right no it's true there's a, that, that's exactly right they're the ones that are they're the ones that need the help yeah. And, uh, you know, in, in, in general, people that are people that are trying to become leaders are the most underserviced group of people in, in all organizations. Like, you know, coaching's wasted on on executives. Well said. Well said. Uh, thank you so much. And I, I hope that when the dissertation's done, that uh, that we can share that research out. And, and um, I'm really curious what you're going to find. So thank you very much, Tim. Absolutely. Thanks, Massimo. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Leadership Mind. Remember, the mind is the connection between our being and doing, our intent and our actions. Make sure to visit our website, MassimoBacchus.com, where you can like and subscribe to the show on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple, so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found the episode valuable, please rate the podcast on your preferred platform or share it with your community. Until next week. Remember to lead with compassion, curiosity, and gratitude. Great leadership is a gift.